Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you so much. We thank you so much. We give you praise and we worship you for giving us this beautiful opportunity to be together from across the world, so many different countries. We are gathered together in your name and we are here for your purpose and your purpose alone. So I see friends from across the world, in different countries, even over this um, international training. Father, bless this session and uh, bless everyone who has a chance to listen uh, now and those who listen to the recording. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, on the screen, you can see the topic. Uh, the topic is Christian Disciplines for the Last Days. Christian Disciplines for the Last Days. I know that this has been recorded for you, um, but please note that there will be opportunities for questions and answers at the end. So, as we continue, please go ahead and make notes of your questions and we'll take them at the end of the session. Christian disciplines. There is a struggle today. The struggle is between faith and trust. So many people say they believe. So many people say they are believers in Christ. So many say they have faith. The question we are asking ourselves is, what is faith? Is faith the same thing as trust? What are some things that help in building faith? What are some things that mark the life of faith? And so we discover that many may say they have faith in God, but they do not have the implicit trust in the Lord. And so we want to look at the disciplines that build faith, the disciplines that transform faith into trust, the disciplines that the early fathers had, the disciplines that made the early church stand strong, the early church stand victorious. What were the disciplines of the early believers? I read a story a few days ago of a man who walks this tight rope, you know, the tight rope where you have a rope suspended high above the ground and then someone walks on the rope and so a rope was suspended between two very high towers and a man dared to walk on that rope and as he walked on the rope he carried his son on his shoulders and as he carried his son he walked carefully on this rope and from one end of the tower to the other end of the tower he walked carefully 
he walked tenderly and everybody watched him walk and everybody was afraid for him and everyone was afraid for the child and when he crossed over to the other side of the tower everyone clapped everyone shouted everyone yelled and praised him and then he asked them a question he said to them do you believe that i am able to walk back from one end to the other end and they said of course we believe we believe you can do it we've seen you do it we know you can do it and then he said to them if you believe if you have faith that i can walk from one end to the other end which of you will give me your child let me carry the child on my shoulder as i walk back and nobody was willing to speak up there was silence everywhere because people said they believed but no one was willing to trust the question before you now is this do you believe or do you trust so many say they believe but when it comes to trust many are not willing to take a risk with the almighty it is my prayer that as we look at these disciplines we will move from simple faith to trust actually within the true faith is trust but today so many say we believe so many say we believe but when you dig deeper there is no trust may we have trust in the name of jesus the spiritual discipline is like climbing up a mountain it's like you you start on the ground level and you have to apply a lot of energy you have to apply a lot of focus you have to keep your eyes on the goal like you see on the screen there's a huge mountain and those who practice the spiritual disciplines are people who are willing to keep climbing to keep rising even when it seems like it's impossible they have a view of the end they can see the top of the mountain even when they don't see with their eyes they believe in the end of the journey and they keep rising those who practice the spiritual disciplines are people who continue to climb on their journey of spiritual pilgrimage they are never tired they keep rising they keep pressing forward they keep moving on the spiritual disciplines require a lot of seclusion a lot of introspection a lot of reflection it's a time when you sit in isolation and you think what are the things i need to do to move from where i am 
to where I need to be. The early fathers were men who thought deep. They lived deep. They spent hours and hours in quietness, in devotion, in reflection, in personal evaluation. The spiritual man must be a man who is reflecting deep and he embraces the spiritual principles of walking with Jesus and growing with Jesus. I'd like to take you to some of the quotes of men I have great respect for. One of such men is St. Augustine. And St. Augustine said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. The saints of old, this was their cry. They said, our hearts are restless and our hearts find rest only in thee. Our hearts find rest only in God. Are you such a man who is hungry for the life of God, who seeks God, who pursues after the Lord, and who wants rest only in the Lord. These were the things that motivated the early fathers. Again, St. Augustine said, Set aside time and allot certain hours to the welfare of your soul. We live in a fast-paced world, and people do not set time aside. The psalmist said, that in the evening, in the morning, and in the noontime, I wait on the Lord. I pray to the Lord. I set time aside. In our fast-paced world today, we are just rushing about between work and projects and people and church and family. We run helter-skelter and we do not set time aside for the Lord. The spiritual disciplines require men who will set time aside. My personal mentor, someone who I look up to very much and I want to encourage every one of you to likewise study the life, the teachings of this man. He's called A.W. Tozer, Aiden Wilson Tozer. He's no more. He said, we taste thee, O thou living bread, and long to feast upon thee. We drink of thee, the fountain herd, and thirst our souls from thee to fill. Tozer says that the thirst that we cry for is for the living bread. We want to feast upon the living bread. We want to feast upon the Lord. The Lord is calling us to feast. And the only way to grow in feasting on the Lord is by the practice of spiritual devotions. 
by the practice of spiritual devotions. I would love to encourage you to read this book by A.W. Tozer called The Pursuit of God. That's one book any pilgrim who wants to grow in the Lord must seek to read. The Pursuit of God. Another book which I will encourage us to read is a book by a man called Bob Sorge. It's called The Secrets of the Secret Place. The Secrets of the Secret Place. These are books I would love for you to, to read. Tozer says, We thirst, we long to feast upon you. We want to drink of you. Our soul's desire is to be filled with the living God. To be filled with the living God. Another man whose book I respect and I read quite a lot is a man called Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones again is no more. He is passed on. But he says the most vital question to ask all who claim to be Christian is this. Have they a soul thirst for God? Is their life centered on him? Do they press forward more and more that they might know him? The sign of a true believer is that he presses forward. He so longs for God. He thirsts for God. He is restless without God. All of his thinking is about the Lord. All of his prayer is to draw closer to God. His life is centered on God. Is that who you are? Is that what you dream of? Is that your passion? Those who seek these things practice the spiritual disciplines. For only by these things do we enter into the real experience with God. John Piper, a more recent scholar, said, The key to Christian living is a thirst and hunger for God. And one of the main reasons people do not understand or experience the sovereignty of grace and the way it works through the awakening of sovereign joy is that their hunger and thirst for God is too small. So what John Piper has brought out for us here is that it is possible for our hunger and our thirst for God to be too small. There are measures, there are measures of thirst. Friends, I want to say to you that I have not arrived. I am on a journey, but I am hungry, friends. I am hungry for God. I am thirsty for God. I am restless. Without God, I am restless. Even though I have God, I am restless because I want more of Him. I am ashamed many times because I feel my thirst for God is not enough. I am ashamed many times because I feel that the hunger in me is not enough. 
John Piper says, the hunger and thirst for God can be small. In the spiritual disciplines, you nurture that hunger. In the spiritual disciplines, you grow that thirst. In the spiritual disciplines, you pursue after God restlessly. And that is why I call myself the restless pilgrim. The restless pilgrim. I am a pilgrim who is restless in this world because I know there is more of God. I know the early fathers taught us there is more. The early fathers taught us there are deeper wells of clean water. There are deeper recesses in which you can encounter God. Please stop the showmanship. Please stop the external, you know, extravaganza. Please stop trying to prove to people that you are someone special. There is something deeper. There is a deeper hunger. There is a deeper experience. There is a deeper walk with God. And I invite you into that. Psalm 21, Psalm 42, sorry. Verse 1 and 2, the New Living Translation says, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. I thirst for God, the living God. I don't know what you thirst for. Do you thirst for success? Do you thirst for a husband or a wife? Do you thirst for children? Do you thirst for prosperity? Do you thirst for promotion? Do you thirst for health and wealth? All these are okay. But there must be an overriding thirst. There must be an overriding hunger. There must be an overriding cry. And that is the cry for God. The early spiritual fathers. This was what drove them. The early spiritual fathers. They thirsted for God. They longed for God. And all I want to impart to you today. Is in order to experience and to grow in this thirst, in this hunger for God, there are some disciplines you must practice. There are some things we must practice. And I'd like to share with you four biblical spiritual disciplines. And I used an acronym for this, S-O-F-T, soft. May our hearts be soft. May our hearts be soft before the living God. Oh, I see men whose hearts are hardened. I see men whose hearts are tough. They are not soft before the Lord. They are not soft before the Lord. But there is a group of people whose hearts are soft before the Lord. Who hunger and when the Lord speaks, they respond. They respond. Is your heart soft before the Lord? Is your heart soft before the Lord? 
let's look at the four disciplines. The first is study, referring to the S. The second is obey, referring to the O. The F stands for fast, but it's fasting together with prayer. And finally, the T is testify. Four disciplines, and I want to say that there are several spiritual disciplines the discipline of meditation the discipline of giving the discipline of isolation and seclusion the discipline of community the discipline of accountability there's so many disciplines but in the time i have i've chosen only to look at four the four disciplines i'm choosing to look at today are study obedience fasting together with prayer and testifying so let's start with the first one the discipline of study now i want to say to you that studying is hard work to study the bible is hard work to study christian literature is hard work to have times of waiting upon the Lord with the word of God before you is hard work. And that is why we say it's a discipline. It's something you need to practice. You need to force yourself into doing. Study does not come easy. I have a problem physically. I am gluten intolerant gluten intolerant means that if i take anything that has wheat i suddenly begin to react and one of the reactions is i feel really tired and sleepy and sick and one of the things i've said to myself no matter how beautiful that meal is no matter how wonderful that snack is when i know i need to study i must stay away from wheat when i eat a biscuit i sleep you need to identify what are the things that fight your discipline of study it could be your telephone it could be the internet it could be the television it could be music it could be friends but there is a discipline we must develop where we sit with the word of god and we sit with christian literature and we ponder we reflect upon we read we read again we read we underline we make notes studying is a discipline that grows the spiritual life for any who want to go far in the way of the spirit they have to grow the discipline of study deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 1 and moses called all israel and said to them hear o israel the statutes and judgments which i speak in your hearing today that you may learn them and be careful to observe them hear o israel here today you have to learn 
the statutes and the judgments of the Most High God before you can be careful to observe. You cannot observe what you have not learned. The process of learning is study. You read again and you read again and you read again. You listen and listen and listen and repeatedly you take the word and force the word into your spirit you cannot observe the christian life you cannot live the christian life unless you have been careful to ob- to listen and to learn from the word learning precedes obedience one of the reasons many people are unable to obey the Lord. One of the p- reasons why our spiritual lives are very shallow. One of the reasons why we seem to be unable to live out the abundant life is we are not investing time in the discipline of study. Moses said, Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. Learn the statutes of God. Learn the judgments of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Except we study, we cannot be complete. And that's why you find believers repeatedly falling in sin. Believers living very shallow Christian lives. Very superficial Christian lives. Why is that? Because they are not investing. They are not investing. They are not investing. In study in reading, in reflecting, in meditating on the Word of God, in quietness, in isolation. People talk about quiet time. Quiet time is just one aspect of study. But quiet time is critical. When you wake up in the morning, you start with your quiet time. You start with the word of God open you start in study you isolate and you sit before the Lord and you internalize that you may be complete study equips you for the work of God study equips you for the work of God study is profitable all scripture is given by God and all scripture is profitable when you sit with the word of God it instructs in doctrine it rebukes it corrects it shows the pathway of righteousness the early fathers they were men who pondered over the word of god they memorized the word of god they sat on the word of god they reflected on the word of god so how do you study your bible 
How do you do your quiet time? How do you spend time with the Lord? And I want to share five things that are critical. The first is that it should be systematic. Don't be someone who reads the Bible just by fluke. Today he opens one passage. Tomorrow he opens another passage. He flips through and he opens here and opens there. He's random in study. No, no, no. The men who dwelt with God, they were systematic as they approached the word of God. And I want to encourage you, be systematic in your study of the word. You may decide to read a book of the Bible, a scripture or a, past, um, um, a chapter every day. You may want to read different portions, but be systematic. Number two is be focused. Be focused. When you sit with the word of God, turn your phone off. When you sit with the word of God, avoid distractions. Quiet in everything. Number three, be prayerful. The word of God will not open up to a man who does not approach the word with prayer. Sit with the word in prayer. Sit with the word in prayer. And ask the Lord, open the word to me. The word of God is time bound. When you study the Bible, create a time. For example, you say every five o'clock in the morning or every six o'clock in the morning from six to six thirty, from seven to eight a.m. or at night from this time to that time. Just make sure that you set aside a time when you come to the Lord and you have the Bible open and you say, Lord, here I am. Lord, here I am. And then finally, it's private. Study the word of God in private. Yes, there is a place for corporate study. Yes, it's important to study in church with others. But there is nothing compared to a private study, a quiet study, a place where you sit alone with the Holy Spirit. The discipline of study requires privacy. Proverbs chapter 23 verse 7 says, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. As a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. Thomas Wilson, I quote, says, He that will not command his thoughts will soon lose the command of his actions. I repeat that again. It's powerful. He that will not command his thoughts will soon lose the command of his actions. Sometimes we say things like, I don't know how it happened. I lost my temper. I lost my, I, I, I fell into fornication. I fell into sin. You don't fall into anything. It's all rooted in your thoughts. And the word of God says, as a man thinketh in his heart. As you think, so you become. And the most powerful tool to shape our thinking is the Word of God. If we sit on the Word of God and we meditate on the Word of God and we spend hours and hours reflecting, 
meditating and thinking and memorizing the word of God, it will shape our thought. It will shape our thought. The second discipline I want to look at, now you will notice I spent a lot of time on study because I believe study is the foundation where everything else lies. If we spend extended time with God, then we can build everything else. But if we don't spend extended time with God, then we cannot do anything else. Everything else depends on the foundation of internalizing the word of God. I love a word in English. It's called indoctrination. Indoctrination means taking the doctrine of God and putting that doctrine inside of you. That's indoctrination. And that's why the word of God is the way to indoctrinate yourself. Having laid the foundation of the word of God, the second discipline to look at is the discipline of obedience. I call it the discipline of radical obedience. Obedience that is not radical. It's not obedience. Obedience that happens partially. It's not obedience. For obedience to be a discipline, it must be something we see as non-optional. It's not optional to be Obedient to the word of God is not when we feel like it. So what is obedience? What is obedience? I'd like to look at a few things that would explain a bit about what obedience is. Obedience is following the king. Obedience is following Jesus. And even if it looks like we don't understand why Jesus is doing what he's doing or saying what he's saying, we may not fully understand. Friends, I have had to do things that I did not understand. I have had to obey the Lord and I weep as I obey him. There are people who have hurt me so bad and the lord says love them and the lord says do good to them and the lord says serve them and it pains my heart so much yet i obey i obey not because it feels good i obey because jesus says i should do something we live in an age of reasoning an age of high reason we want to rationalize everything Wives, submit to your husband. But women are rationalizing and saying, Oh no, how can I submit to a wicked man? How can I submit to someone who is evil? No, I cannot submit because he's a bad person. The word of God says, Wives, submit to your husbands. The word of God says, Husbands, love your wives. I love my wife because she's a good woman, yes. But more than that, I love my wife because the Lord says I should love her. Now, I must be honest. There are times I don't feel like loving my wife. There are times when I feel upset by my wife. There are times when I feel I should not serve my wife. Then I remember the Lord says, love your wife. 
It's not because I want to love my wife. It's because the Lord says, love your wives. To every one of us, obedience must not be optional. Obedience is because we follow him. And even if it doesn't make sense, we follow him all the same. When Jesus began to teach some deeper doctrines, many of the disciples turned away from him. And he turned to the twelve and he said, will you also not turn away? And they said to him, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Obedience is a sign that we know him. 1 John 2, 3 says, and we can be sure that we know him. If we obey his commandments, we can be sure we know him. If the only way to mark that you know your God is that you obey him. It does not make sense to say I follow Jesus and yet I choose what I do. You don't have a right to choose what you do. It's a spiritual discipline. One of the disciplines of the spiritual life is radical obedience. You lie before the Lord and you say, Lord, even if he slays me yet, I will follow him. I will praise him. I will serve him. I belong to him. Obedience is not optional. John Climacos said this. John Climacos said, Obedience, I quote, Obedience is the burial of the will and the resurrection of humility. Obedience is the burial of the will. And so when we go into baptism, as you can see on the PowerPoint slide, a man in the river preparing for baptism. When you go to baptism, it's not just a ritual. Baptism is the ceremony of death. Is the ceremony of death and resurrection. You die to your will. You die to your opinion. Somebody says to me, but don't I have a right to have my own opinion? After all, God gave me a mind. God gave me my mind and my intellect and my senses. So I should use my mind. Yes, use your mind to obey the Lord. Use your intellect to obey the Lord. The moment your mind or your intellect begins to go against the word of God, the instructions of Jesus, the clear precepts of the word of God, then your mind and your intellect is useless. We must enter the place of total burial of our will that we may obey the Lord. Love for Jesus is the root. That is what Matthew Henry said. Love for Jesus. Love is the root. But obedience is the fruit. Love is the root. But obedience is the fruit. I don't care how long you've been in the faith. I don't want to know if you speak in tongues or not. It's not important what you think about life. What is important is that you obey the Lord. 
Obedience is the fruit, the most important fruit of the Christian life. We talk about speaking in tongues as a sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We talk about signs and miracles as the presence, sign of the presence of God. Brethren, you can speak in tongues and be totally disobedient to God and disobedient to the word of God. The sign, the most important sign, fruit of the Christian life. It's obedience to the word of God. Not obedience to your pastor. Not obedience to your church doctrine. Not obedience to your leaders. Not obedience to your friends. All that is important. Yes, we should obey our pastors and our leaders. We should obey these people. It's good to do so. But the root is love. The fruit is obedience. What God is looking for as a fruit is obedience. If you remember the story, Jesus was walking and he was hungry and he saw a tree that had a lot of leaves. He went to it looking for a fruit to eat and there was no fruit and he cursed the tree and the tree shriveled and died. The fruit Jesus wants is not the leaves of activity. It's not the leaves of busyness. It's not the leaves of running helter-skelter. The spiritual discipline that God is looking for is the fruit of obedience. Obedience to the word of God. Obedience to the word of God. Genesis 22 verse 18 from the NIV. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Obedience, friends, brings blessings. Actually, obedience brings multi-generational blessings. Obedience brings multi-generational blessings. Abraham was obedient and the seed of Abraham continues to prosper till today. Because he was obedient. May we be obedient and may our obedience bring fruit. The fruit of righteousness for multiple generations in the name of Jesus. Obedience, Ecclesiastic 12, 13. Obedience displays your reverence for God. It says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. And keep his commandment. For this, for this, not this, this is man's all. This is the conclusion. So don't tell me about all the things you're doing up and down. And are you obedient to the instructions of the word of God? Are you listening to the word of God to obey every word he has spoken? Romans 16:19 For your obedience has become known to all therefore I am glad on your behalf but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil your obedience has become known to all obedience cannot be hidden obedience manifests for those who are obedient to the Lord. He says it is known. People see you. And they see 
the fruit of obedience. They see the fruit of obedience. May our obedience not be hidden in the name of Jesus. Now, I've laid the two most essential spiritual disciplines. We looked at the discipline of study, and now we've looked at the discipline of obedience. The third discipline we look at is the discipline of fasting. But fasting is fasting together with prayer. Fasting is not anything useful if it is not accompanied with prayer. And the fathers of old, the spiritual elders, the ancients, the mystical followers of Christ, those who sought a deeper walk with Jesus, those who sought to grow in the ways of the Spirit, they were men and women marked by a fasting life. There were men who spent time waiting on the Lord. Matthew chapter 6, verse 17 to 18 says, But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in, seen by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do you notice it doesn't say if you fast? Jesus says when you fast. So fasting is not optional. Fasting is compulsory. Fasting is mandatory. When you fast, not if you fast. And when you fast, don't fast like the Pharisees. Don't fast like the Muslims. When they fast, they want people to see them. When they fast, they want people to celebrate them. It is a sickening thing, very sickening. When you fast, you go about telling people, Hey, do you know I'm fasting today? Or, Hey, I fast two times a week. If you do that, you have received your reward already. The true fast is the secret fast. You wash your face, you brush your teeth, you comb your hair. You look well and you go to the Lord. You don't want people to know you're fasting. True fasting is secret fasting. What is fasting? Let me just say six things briefly. Fasting is a voluntary withdrawing from food and or drink or other fleshly appetite for a specified period of time. Now, fasting must be voluntary. You withdraw from food or drink or some other pleasures. You can fast from television. You can fast from the internet. You can fast from sex if you are married. You can fast from, from, from speaking to people for a day or two days. You can fast and withdraw yourself from something. But it must be for a specified period of time. Number two, fasting should be for a spiritual purpose. It's not just fast if you just feel like abstaining from food. True fast should be for a spiritual purpose. It leads to the next thing. Fasting is not for weight loss. Yes, when you do fast, you will lose weight. 
But don't call your weight loss program a fast. A weight loss program is a weight loss program. Fasting is for a spiritual purpose. Number four, fasting is not missing breakfast, lunch, and dinner because you are too busy. Maybe you've not had time to eat. So you say, oh, I'm fasting today because you had no time to eat. That is not fasting. Fasting must be intentional, deliberate, for a specific spiritual purpose. Number five, fasting must involve sacrifice. Any fasting that doesn't cost you something is not fasting. Fasting means a withdrawal from something and you feel the pain from the withdrawal. And then finally, fasting is not limited to just food, but could be anything that has gripped you or could be an addiction. What would we fast and pray for? It's a means of getting closer to God, like I said. Fasting is self-affliction for spiritual control. Fasting is depriving ourselves of food for a spiritual purpose, and so on and so forth. But the most important thing is the last thing you see on the screen. To seek and search for God. Oh, the fathers of old. The spiritual leaders, the mystics of the Christian faith, they would stay away from food. They would stay away from people. They would stay away from pleasure. And they would lock themselves up somewhere. And they would cry for God. They would seek for God. True fasting is to seek for and to search for God. Matthew 17, 21, Jesus says, This kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting is also the birthing room for breakthroughs. It's a place of breakthrough. It's a place of encounter. For those who will fast and pray, there is a release of spiritual power, a spiritual discipline we need to confront the evil in our generation is the discipline of fasting. The discipline of fasting. God is calling his church. God is saying, come away. I will pour upon you my power. I will release upon you a glorious anointing. Stay with me. Deprive yourself from some things and come in. Come in. One of the disciplines we have lost in our generation is the discipline of fasting. And unfortunately, when we fast and pray, we fast and pray only for physical things like you fast and pray for a promotion at work or you fast and pray for financial breakthrough or you fast and pray for a wife or a husband yes it's okay to fast and pray for physical needs it's okay but the deepest desire of your heart should be to encounter god to encounter his power to be full of god and thereby to be able to change your world. The disciples 
were unable to perform a miracle. They were unable to manifest the power of God. And so they asked the Lord and said, Why? Why am I unable to do this? And the Lord said, This type goes only by fasting and prayer. This kind, there are things in our lives and things in our generation that will not submit to us except we go through fasting and prayer. We must break the power of food. We must break the power of earthly appetites. We must not let the desire of the temporal rob us of a spiritual encounter with God. This kind does not go except by prayer and fasting. May each one of us experience the fullness of the power of God to change our generation as we wait upon the Lord, as we practice the discipline of fasting. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Luke twenty-two forty. One of the reasons we should fast and pray is that we pray that we do not enter temptation. The world is full of so much trial, so much temptation. And the only way to overcome is to grow your spiritual life through fasting and prayer. Grow your inner being. Grow the inner life. So that when you face temptation, you can overcome. There is so much temptation everywhere. Corruption is everywhere. The earth is full of sin and evil. And the way to overcome is to grow the inner life. Is to grow the spiritual life. The only way to overcome is to grow through fasting and prayer. So fast with a humble heart and righteous behavior that pleases God. Then, Isaiah 58, 9, Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, Here am I. Here I am. May we fast with a humble heart. I cannot go into all the aspects of fasting. There is also aspects of releasing those held in bondage and helping the poor and helping the widow. But we cannot go into all that because of time. Fasting humbles your heart. Fasting draws your spirit closer to God. Fasting releases spiritual energy into your life. Fasting raises you out of where you are into a new realm. And this is the third spiritual discipline. The first discipline was study. The second discipline was obedience. The third discipline is fasting. But we said it must be together with prayer. So what to expect when fasting? Five things to expect. You hear God clearer as you fast and you isolate. As you fast and you wait upon the Lord, the voice of the Lord becomes clearer. As you begin to deny yourself and afflict yourself and turn away from pleasure and turn away from things that you know are legitimate. 
But you do that for the sake of drawing closer to God. You will hear the voice of the Lord. Clearer. Number two, it lifts up your spirit. Spiritual upliftment. It lifts up your spirit. Fasting lifts up your spirit. It makes your spirit light. It makes your spirit free. And when you fast for longer periods of time, those of you who have done this, you fasted for longer periods of time, you notice your spirit is so sensitive. Your spirit is so, so, so soft in the hands of God. Your spirit is, is light in the presence of God. Third thing that happens when you fast and pray is freedom from chains. As you fast and pray, you break powers of of addiction. You break powers of sin. You break powers that have held you captive for years. Number four, divine visitation. When you fast and pray, you open yourself to the realm of the spirit like never before. Angels begin to visit you. The Holy Spirit comes near to you. There are divine encounters. There are divine visitation. And then finally, you must prepare for number five, which is spiritual opposition. Every time I fast, I find that there is spiritual opposition. Sometimes after a long fast, as I come out of the long fast, something happens to provoke me or something happens to make me want to react the wrong way. And the moment you react the wrong way, you lose everything you gain in the fast. So be ready for spiritual opposition. Be ready for the things that Satan will bring to seek to distract you. Satan will do everything to keep you away from fasting and praying. Finally, and my time is almost over, I think I have a few more minutes, is testify. A spiritual discipline is the discipline of testifying. Some people are so spiritual that they are spiritually useless to God. Some people are so spiritual that they cannot infect or infect or affect their generation. They are so silent in their spirituality. They never testify. They never speak up. Testify. Acts chapter 5 verse 20. After the disciples had been put in prison and they came out of prison, you know the story, and you know the angel brought them out. After being in prison, the angel said, go, stand and speak. Go and speak. Go and testify. Do not be afraid. Go and testify. This is a call to testify. It's a spiritual discipline to speak up about what you have experienced. Share your story, friends. Oh, friends, share your story. Everyone has a story. And your story is unique to you. In my neighborhood, I tell people my story. In the public transportation, I tell people the story. I love to tell people my story. The story of how Jesus met me. The story of how Jesus saved me. I used to be an alcoholic. I used to be a drug addict. I used to be someone who visited prostitutes. I was evil. Evil. And one night, the Lord visited me. 
and the Lord changed me. That is my story. And I tell people, the Lord who changed me can change you. You may not have a problem with prostitutes. You may not have a problem with addictions like drugs. You may not have a problem, you may have a problem with anger. You may have a problem with unclean thoughts. You may have a problem with impatience. You may have different things worrying your life. I share my story because I want to give hope to people. I share my story because I want people to know the same Jesus who met me can meet them. Have you met Jesus, friend? Has Jesus done something wonderful to you? Has Jesus touched you? Has Jesus saved you like that blind man? He says, I don't know who this man was, but I know I was blind, but now I see. I don't know if he's a prophet. I don't know, but I know he changed me. It is a spiritual discipline to tell your story. Too many people are shy. Too many people are timid. Too many people are afraid to tell their story. But God is calling us to tell our story. In your place of work, tell your story. In your neighborhood, tell your story. Brené Brown says, tell your story with your whole heart. So I hear some people tell their story and they testify and they sound so apologetic. Such a miserable testimony. They are telling a story of what Jesus did and are almost, they feel sorry as they tell the story. They seem to even apologize for telling the story. Your story is your story. Your experience is your experience. Tell your story with your whole heart. That's what Brené Brown says. With your whole heart. Speak with your whole heart. I was blind. Now I see. I was dead. Now I'm made alive. I was a disobedient child. Now I obey the Lord. I was reckless. Now I am ordered. I was evil. But now I am ordered. Acts 10.42 says from the King James Version, and he commanded us, it's a command, to do two things. He commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. It's a command to preach and to testify. You may not be able to preach with all kinds of scriptures and eloquence. You may not be a Paul. You may not be a great, you know, orator. You don't have to be a great orator. Testify. Tell your story. Testify that Jesus is the one ordained by God. Testify what Jesus did to you. John chapter 3, verse 11 to 13 Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen. And you do not receive our witness. This is Jesus speaking. He says, we speak what we know. We testify what we have seen. But you don't receive our witness. Listen. Testify of what you have seen. 
testify of what you know. Testify. Be a witness. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, ye shall be my witnesses from Jerusalem, both in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Testify. 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 Testify of the goodness of the Lord. Testify of the power of God. Testify. And that is the message I really want to leave you with. That's the final discipline. The final discipline is the discipline of testifying. We must testify. Speak up. Oh, speak up, friends. I, I am ashamed when I see men of the world speaking up. I am ashamed when I see people of evil speaking up. I see people who do not know God speaking up. But Christians are too silent. Christians are too timid. Christians do not want to speak up. I want to close with a few statements. First of all, a quote again from my mentor, my spiritual leader, the man that I mold my life after, that is after Jesus himself, A.W. Tozer. He says, to have found God and still pursue him is the soul's paradox of love, scorned indeed by the too easily satisfied religionist, but justified in happy experience by the children of the burning heart. We are the children of the burning heart. And I repeat again, he says, to have found God and to still pursue him is the paradox of the soul. Now, some people say, well, we don't have to pursue God. We have God. We found God. We believe in God. We have said, come into our lives. The Lord is our Lord and Savior and all that and all that and all that. No, you have found God and yet you pursue him. You seek him. You long for him. There is a tribe and I invite you to join that tribe. This tribe cuts across all denominations in the world. This tribe is a tribe that belongs to the ancient pathway. It is the tribe of the children of the burning heart. There are a group of people called the children of the burning heart. They pursue after God. They seek after God. They long for God. They are not satisfied. Every time they encounter God, they look for God the more. Let me close with these few statements. Number one, only those with a burning heart will press on to practice and manifest the disciplines mentioned. Only those with a burning heart will press on to practice. I invite you to press on. Join the saints of old to press on to manifest the disciplines of the spiritual life. Number two, the saints of old lived by and practiced the spiritual disciplines and thereby they conquered their generation 
by the power of God working in and through them. The saints of old lived by these disciplines. They practiced these disciplines and they conquered their world by the power of God. Number three, the greatest need for believers today is to grow in living by the disciplines enshrined in scriptures and modeled by the believers in every age. The greatest need for our generation of believers is to grow in living by these disciplines. Now remember I mentioned four disciplines by the acronym of SOFT. And I will repeat that again. But my final statement to you is the spiritual disciplines can only be lived by grace. It's not your works. The spiritual disciplines can only be lived by grace. And only those who seek him will find the grace to live by him. Only those who seek him will find the grace to live by him. May the Lord help us to seek him that we may find the grace to live by him. May you and I be among those that will make a difference. Will you live by the spiritual disciplines? The discipline of number one, study of the word. The discipline number two, obedience to every word spoken by the Lord. The discipline of number three, The discipline of testifying, testifying to the goodness of God, testifying to the things that the Lord has, has done. Are we willing to live by these disciplines? The discipline of study, of obedience, of fasting, and then of testifying. May I pray a short prayer now before we go to the question and answer time? Lord, I ask that we will be the spiritual servants in our generation, children of the burning heart who practice the spiritual disciplines of study, who isolate and spend hours and days upon the word of God. May we be men and women who practice the discipline of obedience and see obedience as a command. May we not be like those who choose what to obey and not to obey. May we be men and women, oh God, who practice the discipline of fasting and prayer. May we fast and isolate and deny ourselves of earthly pleasures that we may experience the heavenly life and live by the heavenly life. Finally, may we be men and women who testify. Men and women who do not keep silent. Men and women who speak the word of God to their community, who tell their story. Father, I pray this for myself. I pray this for these men and women in so many countries who are gathered together in this training. May we become the giants of faith who live by the disciplines of the spiritual life and who impact their generation for God. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen.